I the only one enjoying the leaves? Aren't those beautiful out there? I uh, really have enjoyed that. Um, I'm continuing on the theme of encouragement. So tonight, uh, today, I want you to take and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is going to be a familiar text to us. Um, <clears throat> and just by way of context, you need to realize that uh, David has been running for, him, for his life from Saul. Saul has nearly killed him twice at this point, or at least pursued him unto death. Uh, he always showed his character. And he always showed his faith in God. But uh, I will tell you this, that um, the battle against sin can wear you out. We saw that with our first, if you will, um, with our first example with Elijah. He had had great victories, but he had been living by faith for so long that just, just kind of he unraveled one day when, uh, you know, when a, a wicked woman said, by this time tomorrow I'm going to kill you. You know, paraphrasing there, of course. Uh, and so, if you will, everybody has their enough point, if you will. Even Elijah. And we see David here. David, of course, has now come. And to be quite honest with you, if you look at the previous chapter, he said, I know now Saul's going to kill me. I mean, that's the point he's come to. That's what it says in the very last verse of the previous chapter. He says, I know now that Saul's going to kill me. And, uh, and so, if you will, that's the context. That's where he is. And uh, what he did is he, he took, and warfare was uh, getting ready to happen. He knew he couldn't fight with Saul. Uh, he also knew he had to take a side. And uh, so he went over to the side of the Philistines. And uh, uh, he had friends there, if you will. And he offered his soldiers. He offered himself and the other Philistines. We'll look at this more here in a second. But they looked at him and they said, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> what better way for Saul and David to reconcile than for him to turn on us in the middle of the battle? And they said, send him home. And so they did. And David said, what did I do? Did I do anything wrong? He said, no, you didn't do anything wrong, but you can't fight with us. Go home. And so that's where we are. That's, that's, that's what's happened previous to this, okay? Now look at verse 1 of chapter 30. And the Bible says this. It says, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. They, they've returned home. Ziklag's their home. And the Bible says on the third day... Uh, let me stop there for a second, too. Sunday night I preached about two days, and then the third day... This is one of those verses that ties into that. It's a very interesting uh, connection there. But anyhow, the Bible says that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. By the way, that's the mercy and grace of God there. Which also tells you this. God's working. We just saw that in Nahum, did we not? Think about this. God is working even in our trials and even in our difficulties. God has mercy and God has protection for us. Come on now, that's why that we can trust him. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble, amen. All things work together for good, amen. And, and so if you will, all these things are true and just when we're going through life, sometimes it's hard to take and to embrace them. Listen, if, if, if God wasn't in it, they might have killed the, some of the wives, and they might have taken and, and done some evil things, and they didn't. God, God had had that there. And so that, that would be another uh, lesson for another day. But anyhow, it is a truth. And uh, the Bible says in verse 3, it says, So David and his men came to the city. Behold, it was burned with fire. All right, they just, all their, their houses are gone. And behold, uh, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. The, the people they cared about are not there. 
So their things are gone, their, their house is gone, their, their families are gone. And uh, the Bible says, uh, then, when, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's got to ask you a question, have you ever been there? I'm not really a crier, but if I ever do, it's I usually, I cry. I mean, I'll, I'll weep, you know. I remember when my dad died, I was so busy ministering to my family that I, I didn't cry for my dad till about four months after he died. And the day I finally cried, I wept. I mean, I just, I just wept, you know, realizing. And, and so, if you will, I, you think about this. Have you ever been to the point where you just couldn't cry anymore? You're just too tired to cry anymore. That's what the Bible says here, okay? How many of y'all just think when you get done crying like that, you, you want to jump up, all right, let's go. <laughs> no, he's discouraged now. What would be a good metaphor? How many of y'all think maybe he's at the bottom of the barrel? How many of y'all think maybe he's cut through the bottom of the barrel? <laughs> okay, he's down, all right? And the Bible says uh, uh, in verse uh, uh, 5, it says, And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam of the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Not only is everything going wrong, the prospect of it getting any better isn't there. I mean, think about this. The next thing in his life, he's expecting to be taken outside the camp and stoned to death for his failed leadership, okay? And the Bible says, uh, because the soul of the people was grieved and every man for his sons, for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to take and to open your word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises, the freedom that we enjoy, the safety that we enjoy here today. Father, many of our brethren are not experiencing that safety here today. And Father, we pray that you'd be with our missionaries, you'd be with our soldiers, you'd be with our leaders, you'd be with the state of Israel. And Father, we, just, uh, we know that you're in control of all things, but you do invite us to pray and have a part in uh, what you do and how you do it. And Father, we just pray that we might be found faithful. Father, be with those who are apart from us today. And Father, we just uh, pray that we might rejoice in your presence as we sing and we hear from your word. We love you and we thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I want you to think about this, but discouragement is a constant enemy that must be, the fa must be faced in the life of every man, woman, and child. Okay, Discouragement is a very real issue. And it would be real easy for us to sit here sanctimonious and say, well, I, I never have to deal with that. Folks, I, we would be lying to ourselves. I think all of us know that there's times we all have to deal with discouragement. That's why we need to examine this issue for more than one just example. Because we've looked at it, if you will, from the example of, of Elijah, Elijah, excuse me, and we saw how that overwork and, and wrong thinking and, and getting away from God can take and affect you, body, soul, and spirit, and get you to a place where you're very low, where you just say, it is enough, Lord, take my life. It's, it's enough. I've, I've, I've lived long enough. And if you will, that, that is the bottom of the barrel, amen? Of course, the Lord said, here, get some rest, and let's get some nutrition, and now let's get away from the problem, right? I mean, this, this is all paraphrased, but this is true. Let's get away from the problem. And then all those thoughts in your mind that are raging, let's get it to where you can finally hear my still, small voice. Amen? And God, if you will, gave him the nutrition and the rest that he needed. And God, if you will, got his thinking right. And then they restored, if you will, 
the relationship they needed for him to be encouraged. And so we've seen encouragement from the life of Elijah. But now let's look at what we can learn from this situation here with David, okay? And, and, and so we're going to take more to look at him as an example also. So some of this might be repeated, but again, the principle of line upon line, precept upon precept, God has you to look at things from different perspectives so that you can truly understand them, okay? And so uh, when does discouragement usually occur? <laughs> it's kind of a silly question, all right? But when does discouragement usually occur? Think about this for a second. How many of y'all are usually discouraged when your team wins? No. How many of y'all are discouraged on graduation day? Uh, no. How many of y'all are discouraged when you win the race? Okay, no. If you will, by and large, we're not discouraged on the mountaintop. But, folks, we know this. Once you get to a mountaintop, you have to go into a valley. And how many of y'all know this? It, it, sometimes we look at it, we go, why does that always happen? I had a really great day yesterday, and today it's a blah, right? You're like that? Well, when you get to the mountaintop, <laughs> that's the day. By the way, that's one of the reasons, we won't talk about it now, but that's one of the reasons why you need to regulate your moods. Don't get too high on your best day, and don't get too low on your worst day. And when you're down at the bottom, remember the promises. And, and when you're on the top, maybe you got to, you know, say, hey, I'm going to save some of this, bank some of this. Why? Because I'm going to need it tomorrow. Amen. Okay. And so, if you will, when, when, now listen, when do we get discouraged? Well, look at verse 1. The Bible says here, it says, It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites in, uh, excuse me, excuse me, I got you in the wrong chapter. Go to chapter 27. Chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 1, the Bible says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day at the hand of Saul. Hmm. By the way, uh, we are at the natural result in chapter 30 of that statement. Okay? Meaning, I'm going to die. All right? Remember when Elijah was, uh, was finally obviously discouraged? Take my life. It is enough. Are you all with me? Isn't it weird how death and discouragement kind of go hand in hand? And they do. Okay, sad but true. Sad but true. Notice this. He says, I'm going to die one day at the hands of Saul. Help me now. Was that a true statement? No. Could he have known that was not a true statement? Yeah, he could have. Okay? I haven't said that. I, as I studied this, I had to learn some things, and, and I had assumed some things that weren't true when I went back. And so let's, let's take and let's study this here a little bit. You see, David was being pursued by God, and even Saul knew his defeat was inevitable. Meaning what? Go to chapter 26 and look at verse 25, the, the previous verse. Uh, the Bible says, Then said Saul to David, Blessed be thou, uh, my son David, thou, hast bo that thou, shalt do, thou shalt both do great things, and all shall, shall still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned into his palace. David had just spared his life. You know what he said? You're going to do great things, David. <laughs> Listen, you're going to prevail. <laughs> Please take this the right way. Saul knew he was going to lose his battle. That's one of the reasons he was so desperate. The problem is, is the very next thing, as David said, the very next verse. See it? The very next verse, he says, David, Saul's going to kill me someday. 
Saul's going to kill me someday. Saul's saying, I'm going to get beat. And David's saying, I'm going to lose. By the way, they're both, by the way, how many of y'all see the dark side of things faster than you see the bright side of things sometimes? I hope every head's going like this because all of us are guilty of that. Okay, and both of them are in that situation right there, by the way. Uh, it, it, so David, it, it, Saul knew that uh, his defeat was inevitable, but Saul had been relentless. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. That You go previous chapters to this, he has been re- he's, he's tried twice to kill David. Up until this point, he's tried twice. It, it, matter of fact, he's tried three times now that I think about it because he's tried twice in hunting him down. But you remember there was a couple times he took the staff and, and tried to smite him against the wall. Amen. Listen, he, he has been running for his life. And the sad thing is David keeps coming back to him. Amen. David keeps coming back to him, keeps serving next to him, keeps, keeps honoring him, keeps Listen, he had every opportunity to kill him. And he says, I will not touch God's anointed. By the way, that's the right thing to do. Let God be in charge of things. Amen. Amen. Okay. But if you will, Saul had been relentless. We talked about that. You know, one thing that Elijah knew, Jezebel meant what she said. (laughs) And if she didn't get it done today, she's going to try again tomorrow. Well, I want you to think about this. Do we have an enemy like that? The Bible... Uh, says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that our adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I was thinking about that. Why does a lion roar? Try to scare you? Yeah, maybe. I, I will say this, they do scare you. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this the other day, hunting. I went out hunting one day and I heard a cat. I don't know if it was a bobcat or a mountain lion. All I know is it was a bigger than a tabby. You know what I'm talking about? And I heard, and I just started walking backwards, man. I was done hunting that day. Matter of fact, I don't know that I hunted very much the rest of that season, to be honest with you. I thought if there's a cat in our woods there, I really don't want to mess with that. Anyhow, my whole point is, is uh, a lion doesn't roar when it's got a full belly. A lion roars when he's on the hunt. A lion roars when he's on the attack, if you will. And, I mean, I don't know everything about lions, but I, I, I would make that assumption here, you know. Uh, a, a roaring lion, by the way, is a hungry or a desperate lion. Let me ask you a question. Is the devil desperate? Is he? Now, do you know that or do you suspect that? Why is the devil desperate when it comes to our lives? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse uh, 12 that he knows his days are short. And can I just tell you this? In our lives, he's got three score and ten. Or if reason of strength, four score. He's got 70 to 80 years to destroy our lives, to ruin our lives. And, and, and by the way, even when you get saved, you'd think he'd throw up his hands and say, can I just tell you this? He's the destroyer. He still wants to destroy you even if he knows he's lost your soul. Amen. By the way, Jesus has bought your soul. Praise the Lord. Okay? And so if you will, a roaring lion is a hungry or a desperate lion. And folks, I want you to know that the devil has an insatiable appetite, meaning what? You cannot give him enough victories. He wants to destroy you down to the last detail. And uh, help me now, does he, does, he, does he win a victory when he gets a child to take that first cigarette? 
does he? But you know the thing about that is, is uh, when I was in college, we took a class, and if I remember right, every cigarette takes seven minutes off your life. Seven minutes off your life. And you say, well, that's not very many. Well, you smoke enough of them. I'm not trying to big up bad images, but anybody ever seen somebody die of lung cancer from smoking? It's ugly. It's nasty. It's terrible. It's awful. It's awful. And every time a person smokes, the devil wins. Does he not? Now, we could talk about drinking. We could talk about anything else you want to talk about. All right? Even discouragement. All right? But can I tell you this? There, there's, a, there's a concept in sports that whenever you have got the victory, it's from the Bible, put your foot on the enemy's neck. By the way, God's the one that told him to do that. Saying, this is how utterly you're going to defeat your enemy. Okay? Well, can I just say this? The devil's not, he, he's not concerned about yesterday's battles. He, he's, he's not concerned about past victories. He wants to win every day, every time, every way he can. Amen? And the battle gets relentless. Don't you, anybody here, I, I'll just tell you this. One of the things for me about heaven, that new body, I think the Lord's going to make it so that we're not tempted. I just do believe that. Why? Because that's part of the knowledge of the good and evil. I don't want to know evil anymore. How about you? Why? Because I've seen evil and seen what it does. I, I'm done knowing it. And God, if you want to take that away from me, take it. Amen. Okay? I don't think it'll be a taking. I think it'll be a giving. But you understand. And so my whole point is this. is It's just because of the relentless nature of life. Whether you're constantly fighting the battle and all of us get worn out. Body, soul, and spirit. We've already seen that. Okay? And part of the reason is because of the relentless attacks of the devil. Um, by the way, once again, this is why we need to put on our armor. How often are we supposed to put it on? Every day. Every day. Why? Because the devil may lose a battle, but he's always preparing for the next hunt. You understand that? You, you might get a victory. Yay, I got a victory. <laughs> Can I just tell you? All the devil is doing, okay, I'm going to go over here this time. <laughs> right? And then he'll attack, and maybe your armor stops, and he goes, okay, well, I'm going to try it over here this time. <laughs> Amen? And I got it just wears on you. I, I, I think most of us, if you've been a Christian any length of time at all, it's just, just you get tired of constantly fighting the devil. Amen? And, and so, if you will, uh, we see uh, David was being pursued by Saul, but uh, he still had some unfulfilled prophecies that he could have remembered. Now, do we, have, do we have the Word of God to tell us that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us? Come on now, amen? And so the Bible tells us that we're more, we're more than conquerors. I mean, we're on the winning team. I've read the end of the book. You all with me? But the problem is, is sometimes we forget that, all right? And I will promise you this, if you get down and if you get discouraged and if you go beyond that and get to the place where, place where you're depressed, well, it's because you've forgotten some promises, amen? I was thinking about this. You know, he was going to be king over Israel. Come on. Can I ask you a question? And here's, here's, here's a thought. Had he ever been told that? Would you go to where we think that is? 1 Samuel chapter 16, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil the ending here, okay? 
But you know who knew David was going to be king? Samuel. 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 Okay? Now Saul suspected it, and he had good right to. <laughs> okay? When people start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands, he understood the implications, guys. Okay? And if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Amen. Right? Samuel's the only one that knows that. He never tells Jesse why they're having dinner. And he never one time in this text tells him why he's anointing his son. Never one time. If you go down, if you will, all the way down to verse uh, 13, look at verse 13. The Bible says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He never one time says, You are the next king. Read it. The Bible says, The Lord came upon David from that day forward. Praise the Lord. He's filled with the Spirit. He's empowered by the Spirit, whatever that is. That, that would be another message for another day. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is this, is how many of y'all think there's a whole bunch of promises in this book that apply to us that sometimes we don't even know or we don't remember or don't fully understand? You know what he understood? He understood that the prophet came one day and anointed him, okay? Now, having said that, he might have done some thinking, and he might have said, wait a minute, who, who gets anointed? And by the way, the answer to that is only the high priest and only the king, Okay? But I, I don't know that he knew that at the time, okay? Uh, I, I will tell you, there's a lot of times, have you ever, anybody here ever read your Bible, and you're like, I never saw that before. And by the way, if you're reading your Bible, it happens all the time, okay? And so the whole point is this, is, is uh, he could have deduced it. He said, wait a minute, they only anoint kings and priests, and I'm not qualified to be a priest. I must be the next king. Now, how many of you all think, well, just get full of yourself there, David. That's a real issue. How many kings do we have in here? Five of us will raise our hand. How many kings are... Say, so well, I'm a queen. <coughs> You're a potentate. How many do we have in here? See, nobody's going to raise your hand anymore. <laughs> Folks, you guys know me well enough to know I don't ever do anything without having a reason. How many kings do we have? I know that. How, how dare you call yourself a king? Well, no, I didn't call me a king. God did. Okay? And can I tell you sometimes the reason we're so defeated is because we're afraid to arrogantly embrace the truths of the Word of God. How many of y'all know you're going to heaven when you die? Hey, we're getting better results. Getting better results. Okay? By the way, you ought to have the same confidence that all things work together for good. God is in control. God is good. It's a stronghold in the day of trouble. I think I heard that somewhere today. By the way, Nahum 1, 6, 6 7, whatever. 
Everybody ought to know that verse. It's a great verse. Even if I can't tell you if it's six or seven. I can't remember. Which one is it? Somebody help me. Seven. Thank you, seven. And so, um, if you will, David didn't know, but he could have. You know what he could have done? He could have said, Samuel, what would you do that for? I don't know if he ever did. Okay? And, and so, if you will, you're sitting here thinking, well, he, he, he knew he was the next king. He didn't know. He could have suspected. How many of you all have to live by faith, too? He says, I know now that I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. Not, not if you remember what happened to you when you were a boy. Come on. See, he's been running from Saul for a long time now. He's a man now. Amen? He's not only a boy named David. <laughs> he's a man. He's a warrior. He's been in a battle or two. And he forgot something that happened when he was younger. Hey, wait a minute. I still have the anointing of God on my life. Okay? Meaning what? God has a purpose for my life. Okay? And he wasn't arrogant enough to say, I'm going to sit on the throne. But I'll tell you what he did do. He said, I'm not going to kill Saul to get there. I'm not going to kill Saul to get there. So he did understand some things about it, did he not? He understood that the people were saying, you're going to be the king. Because he understood what 10,000 means compared to 1,000. He understood, okay? But in this time, when he's discouraged, he, he, he wasn't, if you will, filled with the word and understanding of the word of God. And, and, and so, if you will, you know, uh, we already said this, but New Testament believers, we're kings and priests. Amen. Meaning next time somebody says, hey, would you pray for me? You can say, wait a minute, I can activate my priestly ministry and I can stand between the sinner and God and make intercession, amen, just like they asked me for, rather than go, oh, yeah, I'll remember. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're a priest. Okay, ladies, you're a priest too. Why? Because that's what it means, intercessor. Somebody who can minister between a holy God and a sinful man, okay? And you say, well, why, I, I, how arrogant to think that it's, it's not arrogance, it's who you are. And you either embrace it or you don't embrace it. Come on now, amen? What do we call humility that's not humility? Pride? Pride? So we're too proud to be a priest. We're too, too, uh, anybody here have pride issues? Anybody have problems with lying? I'm going to try this one more time. Any, any of y'all have pride issues? And so sometimes we'll try to be humble and we call it false humility because we'll say something that we know is not true. Oh, I'm not a king. <laughs> yes, you are. Come on. Yes, you are. Okay? And you having that false humility, all it's doing is leading to your own discouragement, your own destruction. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just a soldier. I'm just a soldier. I'm just running from the king. I'm not a king. You are a king. You've been anointed of God. Don't forget that. 
And so whenever the time comes and, and, and you just get tired of fighting, you gotta, you got to remember we're, we're more than conquerors. All things work together for good. God has a purpose for everything in my life. I am a king and I am a priest. Amen? And folks, sometimes that thinking will just turn you around and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. King doesn't act like this. Priest doesn't act like this. Come on. Somebody who's grateful doesn't act like this. Come on. We've all been discouraged. But we got to know that David here wasn't remembering who he was and the promises of God. You know, think about this. Most of the promises that were given to David happened after this event. After. How many of y'all started driving before you were 16? Okay. Were you supposed to? Huh? <laughs> I remember I was, I think I was 14, and my mom or my aunt, had a 63 Impala that eventually became my first car. And I remember sitting in the front seat and sitting there and making sure my feet could reach the pedals. <laughs> Am I the only one that did that? <laughs> and all it was was the anticipation, man, I can't wait till I have my driver's license. And can I tell you this? My folks were traveling the day I could get my driver's license, and I, oh man, I was so heartbroken because I was one of those that wanted my driver's license the day I could have it, amen? And fortunately, my aunt came over, and she says, I'll take you, Mark. I was like, yeah! So I started driving legally when I was 16 years old to the day, okay? My whole point is this, is, you know, a lot of times the difficulties and the hardships that we go through, and I could describe difficulties and hardships, God has to get us through something before he can give us that blessing because we're not ready for it. Meaning what? I don't want you driving until you get your license. You understand? And so it, all things work together for good. So I don't want you to experience the blessing of leadership, David, until you've been humbled a little bit. Why? Well, I tell you why. Because you're a pretty good shot. Come on. Lest you think he only took out a lion and a bear, he also took out a Goliath. Come on. Okay. He, he owned Goliath's shield and sword. <laughs> Amen. Gave it to somebody and said, hold this for me, okay? Listen, I, I've killed a lion and a bear, and I, I write beautiful music. Listen, even the king wants to hear my concerts. Amen. And God says, you're not ready to be king yet, David. Why? Because I need a man after my own heart. I've already got somebody full of himself. Got it? God, why are you doing this to me? Because I can't bless you until I get you where I need you to be. So that you can be a blessing. David, I want you to be a good king, not like the last one. The last one wouldn't do what I told him to do. Amen? We see here, if you will, that 
when does discouragement occur? It occurs when we forget the promises of God. And then it occurs when we experience great failure. <laughs> I want you to think about this. Why, why was he in this situation? Poor decisions made in a time of great stress or fear sometimes lead to poor decisions. You know what? He was scared for his life. He says, I'm going to join the enemy's army. Can I tell you this? It's always wrong to join the enemy's team. And I could give you illustration after illustration, but I'm, I'm out of time. But folks, I will tell you, there's a lot of times just to encourage ourselves or to give ourselves a victory, we'll join the enemy's team, hoping that we'll get it. And then we wonder why we're even more discouraged afterwards. Amen. Uh, please apply applications and we'll move on. We're going to keep hitting this though, so we'll, we'll get to it. How about this? Because of unanticipated defeats at the hands of another enemy. Uh, have you ever been fighting one enemy? Right? You're tired of the battle. You, you finally get to go home. You're like, okay, well, that one's over. And you immediately show up, and there's another enemy. He went, if you will, from fighting Saul to fighting for his family with the Amalekites. Amen. And, and if you will, uh, why was he discouraged? I'll I tell you why. He experienced great failure as a leader, great failure as a decision maker, great failure as a soon-to-be king. Folks, he was king within days of this. Read the book. He was king within days of this event. Okay? It was kind of like the exclamation point of, okay, now you can be king. Okay? Because of the anguish or anger of those who you've let down. Folks, the Bible says that the people around him's heart was so broken that they wanted to kill David. Folks, I'll I just tell you that, you know, defeat can discourage you. But that sad look in people's eyes who people were trusting you, and now you've let them down. I'm 60 years old, and uh, I've raised my five kids. Abigail's still in her home, but she's an adult. So in a way, my parenting is done, Okay. And I wish I could throw up my hands and go, man, I, whoo, man, if there was ever a perfect parent. Please take this the right way. As you're parenting, a lot of times you think, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job. The only problem is time and perspective. Sometimes you get a dose of reality. Boy, I wish I could do that over. Yeah, I'd like to make that decision again. Amen. Even, and a lot of parents experience this, your children turn on you and say, hey, this, this wasn't right. i got to be honest with you, I kind of resented this. Folks, that's a very real thing. Amen. And I, I will tell you this, when you're a parent, you're, in, you're the plenipotentiary. Plenip, you have plenipotentiary. What that means is you have full control. You do, until they move out. And then you get your report card. And it could be discouraging. And folks, what am I saying? Folks, look at this right here. David has just led his people to lose everything. They didn't have to kill him. He was killing himself. You all understand? You see, 
that's when we get discouraged, when we experience great failure. And the reason for discouragement can be boiled down to those two reasons most of the time. Okay, meaning what? You forget the promises of God and you experience great failure. Okay, you forget the promises of God and you experience great failure. We're going to talk about how to encourage ourselves next time. Now, I'm sorry to leave on a negative note, but here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to study and see what does it mean David encouraged himself in the Lord. Okay? Study that out and we'll, we'll take it up again next week. What does it mean to encourage yourself in the Lord?